right some societal ills and things in that way, but what we are witnessing is the outright rejection of authority. Just they hate authority. And don't, don't you know, we, we have trouble with authority sometimes as well. But they just, they, they hate authority. They hate the authority of the police. They hate the authority of parents. They hate the authority of our constitution and our laws. And I, I think it's just, uh, the, the irony is so thick of, of some of these people and, and some of these governmental leaders in some of these states and these governors, these liberal governors, uh, who are wanting to defund the police, but when the the when the uh, what are those called riots are getting bad, you know what they do? They call out the police to come around their house. Yeah, you know what that's called? That's what communism looks like. I hope I hope you're ready for this. That's what it looks like. Those up here get to have it all, and then those down here. You know, I love how these people complain about our capitalistic system, and it's just not fair. I said, okay, Bubba, you're going to really like communism. And socialism, when you have nothing. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've been we've been going down a socialist road for a long time now, and it's just the the fruit of it's just starting to to come out here. And so, what we are seeing today in in our country is 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 a revolt that is vicious and violent. You know, it's not just like these groups that go out and protest against something they don't like, and it try they contact their senators and their congressmen, and laws try to get enacted. And we go through chains like that to try to get things changed. And they do, they, it does work that way. Maybe not as fast as some would like it. But this is what we're seeing in our nation is what it looks like when a people move away from the Word of God and they cease teaching their children the Word of God. Actually, if you really wanted me to get on a little bit of a soapbox, what we're watching today is a generation that was not taught the Word of God. They were not taught the godly role of authority in our life and how we are to respond to authority. I've told this many times, one of the greatest lessons that I've ever learned in my life was how to respond to bad authority. You don't think, I mean, listen, not all authority does right, okay? Not all authority is godly. When when Hannah brought uh, Samuel to Eli, all of Israel knew the wickedness of Samuel, or of, of Eli, they knew the wickedness of Eli. They knew what his sons were like. They knew how what, what a terrible, terrible um, uh, 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 priest he was. And but you know what what Hannah did is she still submitted to God's authority by bringing Samuel up to Eli and leaving him with Eli, trusting God, trusting God with her son that this is who this is God's authority. This is who it is. Nobody surely agreed with him. And uh, But she still trusted God in that authority. And one of the greatest lessons you can learn in your life, listen to me, kids, one of the greatest lessons you can learn in your life is how to respond biblically under bad authority. And you know what God ended up doing? He ended up taking care of Eli and his sons, didn't he? And Samuel came on, and came on to be one of the greatest judges that they had. And so what we're seeing tonight is just a, a product of a generation that has not been taught the Word of God, that has not been taught how to respond to authority. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 30 real quickly, would you please? Proverbs chapter 30. This is the proverb of Agar. Remember Agar, he said, he said uh, I'm, just, I'm more brutish than any, anyone that I know, and I, I don't even have the understanding of a man, this Agar. Listen to what he says in verses 11 through 14. 
this guy had some understanding. He said, There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. Wow. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Yeah. 13. There is a generation, oh how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. A lot of similarities to the generation we're looking at today, aren't we? Yeah. And although there may be nothing that can be done on a large scale to correct this disgrace that's going on in our nation, there is something that we can do at Calvary Baptist Church. Absolutely. There's something that we can do. And what it begins with is a biblical view of authority. A biblical view of of authority. So if you find your place back in Numbers chapter 27, Israel is almost ready to enter in the promised land. My goodness, they're getting close. If you would look back at chapter 26, even you can see in verse 50 through, or verses 51, the Bible says these were the number of the children of Israel, 600,000 and a thousand seven hundred thirty. And this was the, the, the numbering of the children of Israel. Okay. The numbering of the ch- children of Israel, 601,730. And if you notice back in chapter, I, I'm, I just went blank and I had to go back and find this again. Chapter 26, look at verse 4. <clears throat> Take the sum of the people from 20 years old and upward. So this 601,730 is the count of those from 20 years old and upward. This isn't even all of them. But this is those 20 years old and upward. Now if you go over to verse 62, look at this. And those that were numbered of them, uh, of of, uh, the children of Aaron, of the Levites, okay, were 20 and 3,000, all males from a month old and upward. So of the Levites... The male Levites, one month old and older, there were 23,000 of them. Still not even all of them. Just the male Levites, one month old and up. So we get here is a total of 624,730 Israelites that have been numbered that are getting ready to go into the promised land, which gives us possibly well over a million, million and a half that could be entering into the promised land. Now, I want you to notice something here in verses 63 and 64. I want you to notice this clarification. This is very important. Look what it says, verse 63. These are they that were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. Now, look at verse 64. But among these were uh, there... I'm sorry, but among these, that were numbered right here, but among these, there was not a man of them who Moses and Aaron, the priest, numbered when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. Look at verse 65. For the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. And there was not left a man of them, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So this first generation that came out of Egypt with, with, with Moses, they're all dead, including Aaron. And as we're going to see here, 
Moses is on his way out as well. So, this whole new generation is heading into the final stage of receiving their promise. This is not the same generation that Moses had. These are new. Now watch this. These right here have come up completely and totally under the, for lack of a better word, under the tutelage of Moses. Under They have watched Moses their entire life. And they have followed the man Moses. And this is a different generation that came out from Egypt and all they knew was this Egyptian culture. So when I had, where I had Brother Jim read though, we are here in verses 12 through 14. So here we have this new generation coming through. And uh, those that were 20 years old and upward, that old generation is gone. They're getting close to moving in. And now we come to the place in verses 12 through 14 where we are coming now to the end of Moses' life. Look at this. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into this mount Abarim, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For you rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation to sanctify me at the water before their eyes. Why on earth could Moses... Just one... That, that is the only reason... Why Moses is not going into the promised land? Yes, because he would have led this entire congregation into the promised land, not by faith, but by sight of Moses. You see, at this last, at this last event at the waters of Meribah, notice this, what it said, to sanctify me, to set me apart. You know what happened here? We preached this not too long ago. I'm sure you remember this. But what happened here was uh, instead of uh, doing what God told him to do and obeying the voice of God and speaking to the rock, when he smote the rock, what the children of Israel got to see was not God, but they saw Moses. That would have messed them up. So from here on out, you know what they'd have been doing? Following a man, not by faith, but by sight into the land of Israel. And God said, that's not happening. It can't happen. It would be so, you imagine how contradictory that would be? To say, live by faith, well, unless you, you know, unless this happens or that happens. And I'll go ahead and just bless you anyway. No, without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? So Moses, because of this act, because he didn't believe God, because Aaron didn't believe God, he was told that you're not going to go in to the promised land because of what you did there. Because you didn't sanctify me, you didn't set me apart in the eyes of the people. Now notice this. Verse 15 through 17, I think is one of the greatest windows into the life of Moses. Okay, are you ready? Listen to verse 15. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep, which have no shepherd. Now watch this. Moses knows he's going to die. He knows he's not entering in the promised land. And the last thing on Moses' heart and mind was that Israel would have authority over them when he leaves. Moses was concerned 
that when he was taken out of the way, because he was the authority, God's ordained authority over Israel, he was concerned that when he died, Israel would be left without a shepherd. Notice notice the words that Moses uses here. A man to lead them out. A man to bring them in. A man to shepherd them. All of the imagery that Moses is given here is of a shepherd with his sheep. You, 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 I know you know this. We, we went over this with the, with the 23rd Psalm before and it's all through. You, I'm sure you understand this, but there may be some that don't. In those days, those shepherds, when they led their sheep around, when it came time to bed down, when it came time to sleep, they, they built what was called a sheep fold and it might be made out of rock or wood. But a lot of times they were made out of rock and they'd be high enough and they would keep animals out and they'd keep things away. And there would be one door into this sheepfold. And at the end of the evening, after they're done grazing and drinking and whatever, he would, the shepherd would lead them into the sheepfold. And that shepherd would lay by the door of the sheepfold to make sure nothing came out or came in. He was protecting the sheep. So throughout, this is what the shepherd did. So watch, he says, one, two, what? Bleed them out. What happened? The next morning, they get up, they're rested, they're doing great. And what does the shepherd do? He leads them out of the sheepfold and back into pasture to find green pasture to eat. At the end of the day, what does he do? He leads them, brings them back into the sheepfold to keep them protected at the night while they're sleeping. Because you know what? Sheep have no protective defensive mechanism about them all at all. You know what they do? They lay upside down and get eaten. That's all they do. I mean, they can go, ah, that's about it, okay? And then they're dead meat. So he brings them in, a shepherd brings them in, lays in front of the door, makes sure uh, nobody comes through the doorway, watches constantly, making sure nobody comes over the wall another way. I mean, you see the imagery? Jesus said, what did Jesus say? I am the door. Yeah. My sheep know my voice. I hear, they hear me and they follow me, right? And, he, and he, what, he leads us in and he leads us out and he protects us. Beautiful imagery here of the shepherd and the sheep. And what Moses is saying here, and he's drawing from this imagery here, is that he didn't want the children of Israel to be like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. The last thing on his mind before he went up into the mountain to die was that Israel would be left without direction. They would be left without protection. That they would be left without food and, and leading and guiding. So, this is, this is just wonderful to me, actually. We see here the heart of Moses and his love for Israel, number one. He loved Israel. You know how irritated he was with them? How many times did he go to God and just, just, he was, he was just frustrated and irritated and didn't know what to do? How many times did God say, get out of the way, buddy. I'll take him out. I'll take him out. And he said, no, 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 don't do that. Yeah. Just frustrating. What we see here, what we get revealed here just right off the bat here is Moses' love for Israel. But not only that, Moses' love for God. You say, well, what do you mean Moses? How do you see Moses' love for God? These are his sheep. These aren't Moses' sheep. Moses is one of the sheep. These are are God's people. These are the chosen people. They're the apple of his eye. And God had enough love for Israel, his his own people, but he also had a great love for God because he was concerned about God's sheep. And we see here, Moses was a great leader. 
He was a great leader. I think about this just in the realm of a church. As you have the under-shepherd, you have the pastor of the church, and we can see this even in a church setting when you see um, you men that have been in ministry much, much longer, and you've seen this over and over again, how many pastors that leave a flock that God has entrusted them to without any thought of who would come behind them. No, that's not much love for the sheep. That's not much love for God because they're not your sheep, they're His sheep. (laughs) Right? And they'll just go off into the... I'm telling you, I've seen... And I understand sometimes pastors die and sometimes tragedy happens. Sometimes sin happens and they're taken out of the way. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some some guys, they just stay a long time. They stay long enough to prepare for somebody's leaving. And uh, they don't. don't. I remember Brother Bishop said to me, When I leave, I'm not leaving this place high and dry. I appreciated that. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's the only point of reference I have of a pastor before me. That's it. <laughs> so, he's the only one. And I, I like that heart about him and his concern with Calvary Baptist Church and with God's people and, and God's sheep. But sometimes they can leave without preparing the church. You ever, you ever have some? You, uh, some of you may have taken churches like that and that's a financial mess. And you go, oh boy, we're going to have... <laughs> Calling creditors, saying, would you hold on? I've, I've heard these stories. Would you please hold on? Would you just give us a little time? We'll try to do this. and try. They're left with a mess. Left with doctrinal issues and doctrinal problems. Yeah. Moses didn't do that. That wasn't Moses' heart. Maybe the people are just completely unprepared. A pastor may came, come in and the people have not been taught how to live biblically under authority. Uh, I, I have a, a friend of mine who took a church. I won't tell you who it is. Uh, he's never preached here, but um, he took a church. And listen to me, the church that he took, the pastor and him had lots of conversations. The pastor was convinced that, the, yes, I, you know, the, the church has voted for you. I believe you're who God wants in here. I, I'm, I'm fine with this too. He said the pastor wept on the phone because he said, essentially, I'm leaving you a mess. And he knew it. He had been there 25, 30 years, I think it was, something like that. And he left, the, he left the church in an absolute mess. And he knew this. He's going to know. He's, this guy's going to come in and pastor this church, and he's going to know it's a mess. He said, the guy wept over the phone with me. He was so upset that he left the church in such a condition. Now, I'm glad he had such a heart to be that concerned that he messed up. I, that's worth something, too. Yeah. And boy, did he have problems. <laughs> yeah, The pastor's own daughter hung around there and you know what she told him? I may have said this once, I didn't tell you who it was. You know what she told this new pastor? Pastor's daughter. She said, who died made you sheriff around here? Ouch. Uh, I don't know, God? <laughs> Yikes. Church voted on it, obviously. I mean, they prayed about it, thought it was the will of God. Former pastor thinks it's the will. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't think. No, what I'm saying is there, there's, there's, there was something that wasn't, wasn't left as well as it could have been left. 
Sometimes men leave the scene and they just they don't prepare their people to live under authority. They don't prepare their people to, to, uh, to accept new, new leadership if God chooses. Now, now listen, I told you, I'm getting buried out back here. All right, I'm not going anywhere. So don't, don't get too excited yet. This is not what this is about. Huh? Some of you are excited. Much of, the imp- much of the impetus that provokes me in church decisions, me personally, is related to how it will affect a pastor that may come after me. Somebody told me one time here recently, he said, I, I, we've got some procedures set in place for financial things. And he, he says, uh, you kind of have this set up like a corporation. I said, Amen. You know, I no no no. I, I, there, there's just things that we've changes that we've made here, that technology has improved, and we have more at our fingertips, more we can use, more we can utilize. We're not even utilizing all that we could use because I'm just not that great at it. But what we have made use of, it is. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, God knows my heart. It's been it's been because of this. Whoever comes after me, I want them to say, "Boy, that was a blessing." Because I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to deal with that. We can build on this. We can do that. And uh, that's, that's just a lot of what, what drives me and other people in this church here. That's what drives us. Yeah. Because, listen, folks, I'll be dead someday. <laughs> You'll be dead someday. Somebody's going to come behind us. And I want them to look at Calvary Baptist Church like we're looking at the life of Moses tonight and going, wow, what a heart. That's great. In his dying days, his concern was that Israel had a shepherd. He wanted whoever was, he wanted somebody to come behind him and take up. So, this is what Moses is saying I'm going to be dying soon, and Israel needs authority over them. I want you to notice something else in verse 16. Moses knew this was going to have to be God's choice. Now you notice here, Moses didn't pick him out. Let's read verse 16. Let the Lord, let the, Lord the God of, all spirit, of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation which may go out before them. I just read this. And which may go in before them, which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. You see this here, this verse 16. Moses was looking to God to choose the next man. Moses didn't choose him. Moses wasn't the one. He he had a desire that Israel had authority over him, but he knew it was God's choice. I'm sorry I keep going back to some of the things that you hear and churches when they lose a pastor or when a pastor passes away or when God moves them somewhere else. And some pastors want their church to have authority over them after they leave, but they mess up and go and try to choose them. Well, you're going to be it. You're going to be it. You, you get in here and they'll tell the church, this is who I've picked. I know that guys have done this. This is who I've picked for you. This is God's will. Really? Well, then you're not a church anymore. Then he's your head, not Jesus. Bubba, I'm just an under shepherd. I'm not the head of this place. Yeah. No, I get, I know the buck stops here. I get that. 
But Jesus is the head. And if we are a body, if we are a body and, and Jesus is, is the head, uh, then the body is, is, has to be the one who is involved in being led by the head of who to put in this place. And that's why, you, what do we do? We, we have men come in that feel they may be led to preach here. And, and you know what happens? We, the church, the body prays and maybe even fasts sometimes and prays and votes and says yay or nay. But the under-shepherd doesn't go around picking people to take over after him. I know that uh, some people have spiritualized that, but I don't see that anywhere in the Word of God. Yeah. No Baptist popes. Now, we've had them. We've had Baptist popes. But we shouldn't have. Yeah. So M- Moses knew that this was God's choice. Moses knew it was God's choice. Look at number four. God chose Joshua. Moses didn't choose Joshua. God chose Joshua. So in the next few verses, we're going to see now the responsibility of everyone in charge. Look at verse 18. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thy hand upon him. We're going to notice Three responsibilities in this changing of authority here. Number one is God's responsibility. That's verse 18. Can I tell you something? God will never leave one of His churches without authority. Listen, they may go without authority, but it wasn't one of His. I I have a real problem when a church can go six months. I've heard some go a year without a pastor. Know what I can tell you? There's something wrong in that body. Yeah, a lot of times what you have is somebody rise up that's like the that that becomes the 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 pastor over it who is never called by God and and just runs everybody out until they get who they want in there. You guys, some of you have you've you've known this, you've witnessed this. It's it's a it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Do you realize there's no time space between Moses and Joshua? Actually, Joshua is established to take over Moses before Moses is even dead. There's, there's no time between these things. So this is, this, this is God's responsibility in the matter. He has chosen Joshua. Now notice Moses' responsibility in the whole changing of the guard. Look at this in verse 18. He says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man of whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand... Upon him. So what is he doing here? Moses is what? Transferring his authority to Joshua. He's taking the authority that he has from God. And so all of the people see it. Who, I mean, everybody, hey, does this generation that's going in the promised land, do they know that Moses is, is God's man? Do they know that God has put him in this position? So watch what he's doing in front of all of the people. He's saying, I have the authority from God. You know that I do. They have witnesses. They've seen this. And now before all of the people, he's taking Joshua and he's putting his hands on him and he's saying, this is your authority now. And obviously the people, if they're going, listen, if they are following God by following Moses, if Moses says, this is the authority now, I'm transferring my authority because God told me to, they're going, oh, okay. This is God's authority. This is what a church does when they send out a pastor. When they send out a, uh, somebody to go pastor a church, they lay hands on them. What do they do? They're conferring authority to them and saying, you have the authority of this body to go out and pastor, to 
teach, to, to, to start a church, whatever, whatever God's called that person to do. They're transferring the authority that God has given them to that individual. Do you know this happens in the home as well? This transference of authority? We know this. We know the husband is the, is the head of the home. We know that, that there, there is authority there in the home. There's the authority uh, uh, and uh, position over the wife. There's the authority over the children. We understand that. But l- l- let me point this out to you. Think about it. When it comes to daughters, do you know daughters have authority over them? Well, who is it? It's their dad, right? It's their father. That's the authority. If, if, if they're there, they have that. Uh, biblically, God intended it to be was that for girls and boys to have that authority over them. Now watch this. Watch this. You ever wonder why a girl gets walked down the aisle? You ever wonder, you know, sometimes we have these traditions, you don't even know what they mean. But they're incredibly biblical and they're incredible. The visual of these is, is, is wonderful. But what's going on here biblically is if, if, if it's possible, the, the dad will walk his daughter down the aisle. Why? Because he's the authority over her. And when he gets to the end of that aisle, what does the, what does the man, the preacher say? He comes down and says, who gives this lady, who gives this woman away? And the father says, I do. I do. Now, he shouldn't say we do because we aren't authority. He's the authority. He says, I do. And then what is he doing? Then after that, what, is, what, is, what, is, what happens? Well, that jack leg who's marrying her comes down and uh, he takes her, right? He takes her. Now, when you realize they're buying your, your, uh, your uh, what's that called? When they're buying your uh, nursing home someday, they, they, they go from jack leg to being really nice and things like that. And you really get along with them when that clicks in. But <laughs> all of our son-in-laws are great. I tell you what, they really are. And so you walk them down the aisle. Who gives them away? I do. Her father does. And that man she's marrying comes down and takes her. What, is, what has he just done? He's transferred his authority. From him, he's, he's saying, I, you are no longer under my authority. Now you're under his authority. And that's that transference of authority. And she goes from being under her father to being under her husband. And that's how God is established. This is what's going on here with Moses. He is transferring authority, God's authority from himself, and he's inside of all of the people to Joshua. And the people are seeing that now Joshua, Joshua is the one who is going to be leading you into the promised land. Notice also here, under Moses' authority, he says to lay your hand on him. Transferring that authority. And then in verse 19, watch this. He says to bring Joshua before the priest and charge him. So now Joshua has not only access to the priest... Joshua now has access like Moses had with Eleazar and with Aaron. That priest is that mediator between God and man. And Joshua was was to submit to the priest for counsel from God. And so Moses was showing him, now you have access to the priest that the rest of Israel doesn't necessarily have. So this was Moses' responsibility. So God had a responsibility. Moses had a responsibility in this whole transference of authority. But lastly, Joshua had responsibility in this. Can I tell you this? With any type of leadership comes responsibility. No, this isn't like, this isn't the power trip that that, that politicians run off of. You ever wonder why they, 
they just stay in there for 30, 40, 50 years and they do nothing? Yeah, they just, they're on a power trip. When you say, hey, let's have, we, we need to vote in term limits. Oh, no way. That's not good. That's not good. We don't want that. Why? Because you lose your gravy train, man. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, Harry Truman got done with his presidency, packed up his old car and drove back to Missouri. He was done. Uh, wouldn't that be wonderful that happened again, huh? <laughs> yeah, you never hear the last of them. <laughs> yeah. with, listen, with this position with Joshua, with this new leadership position comes responsibility. When I was in high school, it was, uh, the, a teacher at, at asked, was asking the class what career choices they had. And this kid next to me, kind of quiet, well, I wasn't too quiet, but it wasn't really his turn per se, but he was just speaking out in class and he said, and, and he, he used the word uh, that, that I usually try not to use out of respect, but he said, I want to be a cop someday. That way I don't have to deal with him. <laughs> now, that is not a good reason to seek authority, Okay. And to seek a leadership position. He wanted to be a police officer in his mind, so he just didn't have to deal with them, right? Well, no, that's not really good. That's not really good, a good right reason. Notice Joshua's responsibility in verse 21. Joshua has his own responsibility as the new authority of God's placed, ordained authority over Israel. Verse 21, look at this. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out and at his word they shall come in both he and all the children of Israel with him even all the congregation. So Joshua was Israel's authority for leading their footsteps. Watch this. But Eleazar was Israel's authority for leading their heart. And watch this. Even though Joshua had the authority from God, uh, Joshua still had to come unto Eleazar and to submit to Eleazar himself also when it came with concerns of what they were to do. When, what he did, watch, he submitted himself to God's man. And when he was at, what are we supposed to do? Eleazar comes back. The Lord says this. Joshua says, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Yep. So this is Joshua's responsibility. Just like all of Israel, he was supposed to stand before Eleazar as well. He was supposed to submit himself to the high priest. Hey, listen to me now. If you want your kids, if you wanted your kids or your grandkids or whatever, if you want them to, to have a heart for God and if you want your children to follow, to, uh, to, to follow you, uh, you know, you really better make sure that you have a heart for God. You'd really better make sure that you're following God if you want them to follow God. Do you see what Joshua is doing here? Do you see what Joshua's responsibility is? God is saying, if, if you're going to lead these people into the promised land, you are going to have to follow, have a heart, watch, a heart to follow just as much as the children of Israel are supposed to have a heart to follow me. Yeah. We say it this way, right? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Yeah. Notice this also. Joshua's responsibility was stand before Eleazar before the, for, to, to get the word of God. 
He was to go to the Word of God as a, as a great leader. Number two, he was to look to Eleazar to seek the mind of God. We saw this here in verse 21. Also in verse 21, Joshua was supposed to lead Israel in obeying God. I love that great, that great line of Joshua in Joshua 24. Hey, he said, choose whom you're going to serve, whether the gods on this side or, or, or the gods on that side. Choose you this day whom you will serve. He said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I love that. Joshua said, I am going to do what God tells me to do, whether you do it or not. I'll tell you what, that's a great mark of a leader. Because you know what? There's two types of leaders. There's those that try to drag you along with them or those that just say, follow me. And if you don't, okay, I'm still going. Yeah. Some of the, listen, some of the greatest things you can do for your children is serve God if they don't. And leave the rest of it to God. Because I'll tell you what, if you back off just to try to get them, uh, number one, you'll lose all respect from them. Yeah. So it, it just may be that they're away from God and they're just, they're just hoping with all hope that you just don't move and change. I remember a lady, a lady at a, back at her, kind of our hometown there, and back, what I would call maybe back in Aurora. She made this statement that her cousins always tried to get her to go out and do this and do that and go out drinking and go this and go that. And she said, I never would do it, never would do it. And years and years and years later, she said, some, one of those cousins said, you know what, I know we gave you a hard time and we always tried to get you, but she said, you know what, if you had, if you had gone all the way with us, man, I tell you, I would have been pretty discouraged. I, I would have been pretty upset if you actually gave in to what we were doing. <laughs> right? Yeah. Sometimes they just need to see you do right whether they do right or not. So Joshua is a great leader. He was going to obey God. He's going to obey Him as well. Not just for the people, it's just for Him as well. So here we see here, Moses wanted to make sure that he was replaced when he died. And God agreed. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it fascinating to you that Moses brought it up before God did? I love that. And in choosing the replacement, God had a responsibility. Moses had a responsibility. Joshua had a responsibility. Now I want to show you just a couple take, few takeaways from this passage, and we're going to kind of tie it all together here and, and close up. I want to say this succinctly. I don't. I don't want you to miss this. Moses was a godly man. Amen. Amen. Can I tell you, godly people have no problem with authority? Does it mean you agree with the authority all the time? No. Not at all. Not at all. But godly people recognize God's authority. And if there's a disagreement, they may approach them correctly. They may just pray for them and just wait for God to do something. But they had, listen, godly people don't have a problem with authority. Number two, Moses was a godly man, right? We already said this, right? We're, we're still good with that? Are we still good with Moses was a godly man? Yeah. Moses knew these people could not be victorious. They would never make it into the promised land. Look how much trouble he had for the last 38 years. Moses knew that these people could not be victorious without authority over them. 
and neither can you or I. Listen, if you're always bucking authority, friend, let me say it this way. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And you're going to have a hard life. You're going to have a hard life. You will ne- Listen, it's possible if you continue, you will never get to that promised land. You will never get to that place that God has for you and that God wants to do through you in this life. You may never make it and you'll end up dying out in the wilderness somewhere. Yeah. Oh, you'll be in heaven with no rewards, no nothing. Never, never getting where God intended you to be. Moses knew they could not be victorious without authority over them. You notice a third thing here. Joshua was a godly man. Amen? Godly people accept the authority, the position of authority that they are responsible for. Do you know Joshua never shirked his responsibility that God gave him? Actually, if you want to see the fruit of Joshua's life, if you want to see the fruit of Joshua's godliness, at the end of, at the end of uh, uh, Joshua, and you can see there, the Bible says that that generation served served God. The generation that Joshua brought through, that generation served God, and the generation after him continued to serve God. I like that. Why? Because Joshua never shirked his responsibility. He never did. Listen to me tonight. This is what we're getting at. God establishes authority. And to obey authority, we know, is to obey God. And listen, we cannot live our life. We cannot victoriously live this life and be like Christ without authority. Some of you may be already thinking of this. But Jesus Himself submitted to the authority of His Father. How are you any better than him? So let me ask you tonight, as a child of God, what has been your response to authority? Here's a big one. It kind of plugs in with where we are today. What What are we teaching the next generation? You see, my kids are grown and gone. You got grandkids. You have you don't you, sometimes we can't imagine the power we have in our words with those little ones that are watching everything you do. You have you you we have we, we have got to be teaching them. Let me ask you those that still have kids at home, you have little ones, you're you're getting you're on the beginning of, of training up some children. Uh, you're training them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. How do you start now by res- teaching your children to respect authority? Respect authority. Hey, whatever happened to yes, sir? No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. You ever get on to one of them and say, uh, I, you need to go do this. Okay. What? Sure. Excuse me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Why do they hate it? Why do we hate that? Because we hate authority. In our nature, in our flesh, we hate authority. We want to be our own authority. That was, that's what we want to do. Hey, whatever, you know, you, we need to be teaching them this. I mean, dri- driving that in, what, what is that doing? It's teaching them to humble themselves under God-ordained authority. And you know what you're going to find out in life? They're going to have a wonderful life when they learn this. 
They're going to have a victorious life. They're going to turn back someday and say, thank you for showing me this. I believe it was George Washington. It might have been him or Lincoln, one of those two. Somebody could help me later. uh, That said, I thank my parents for breaking my will. Uh, throw out Dobson when he said, "Don't you know, be careful not to break a child's spirit or will." To, you know, I mean, he went through that whole thing. Oh, you don't want to, you don't want to break their will. You might break their spirit. Yeah, you need to break their will. We're, this is the generation we're living in, isn't it? Never had their will broke. Just doing whatever they want to do. Yeah. And if it's done in love, you're not going to break their spirit. All right, that's a misnomer. Parents, are, 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 you teaching, are you teaching your boys, are you teaching your grandsons and every time you have the chance how to, how to watch, how to be godly authority in the home? You know, they're going to be dads someday. They're going to be husbands someday, Lord willing. And they need to know how to be godly authority in the home. They need to know how to lead a home in, in godliness and righteousness. They need to know how to do that. They, they need to be prepared for that. What about your girls? Are you teaching your girls how to transfer from dad's authority to, to the authority of their husband someday or whatever authority that they rightly have over them at this time, how to transfer from that unto a husband's authority? Are you teaching, are you teaching girls oh, they need to be taught how to follow God by following their husband? Yeah. What are you teaching? What are we teaching? Do you realize, I I think Joshua might have had a little bit easier than Moses did. Because watch this. The generation that followed Joshua was the generation that had a lifetime to watch Moses. Powerful. What is, the next, what is the next generation learning from us by how we respond to authority? Authority in government, authority in the home, right? Just authority, God-ordained authority. What are we teaching them? Maybe a mess out there, but it doesn't have to be a mess in here. Yeah. And, and listen, there will be more done for the cause and for the good of our society if the children that come out of from God's people learn how to operate under authority and God, godly authority in a godly way I'm telling you the world's going to look at them and go what is your deal you got another raise <laughs> how did you get another raise I don't know maybe because I am do what I'm told isn't that a novel idea right Maybe because of my spirit when I come to work and I'm just uh, maybe a joy to be around because I'm not grouching all day long because of authority and just mad and stirring up things constantly because I just don't like how things are run. Yeah. Yeah, boy, I don't know why you didn't get a raise. Huh? Weird. <laughs> Actually, I don't know why you have a job. <laughs> anyway. So what about you tonight? Watch this. Our closeness to God in many ways will be made evident by the way we respond to godly authority. 
Was that not evident in Moses' life? The way he responded to God constantly? That he was close to God? The world is ever, listen, if the world's ever going to see it, it's going to see it here. It's going to see it in your kids. It's going to see it in your grandkids. It's going to see it in your family. It's going to see it in your life. And while the anarchists rage out here, and while they're burning everything down, and while they're, uh, you know, uh, wanting to defund police and, and doing all sorts of things, I mean, I just, sometimes you just can't stand watching these videos that they have online of what's going on out there. It's disgusting. Every one of them need to be turned over and have the tar whipped out of them and spanked like a four-year-old. You know That's how they act. Yeah. Probably didn't happen, though. Yeah. Authority. I love this little passage of Scripture. I just love it. How the Holy Spirit of God thought it necessary to write this, this, this little piece down here that we get to see what a godly person does. How a godly person responds to authority, what they think of authority, and their desire to have authority over them. God's ordained authority. May God help us to have the same heart as Moses, to have the same heart as Joshua, that we always respond correctly in a godly manner to God's authority and that the world would be one to Jesus by, in one way, how they see our life and how we respond to a thing that the world thinks is crazy. They think it's nuts. Thankful God's bigger than that. Amen. Amen. So what do you think of authority tonight? You all right with it? Have a little problem here and there with it? Yeah. May God help us. Father, thank you tonight for your word.